הרי אני מקשר עצמי לכל הצדיקים האמיתיים שבדרנו, לכל הצדיקים האמיתיים שוכני עפר הקדוש שבשבר אצלם המפחד רבנו הקדוש. צדיק יסודנו נחן נובע מכוח חוכמה רבנו נחנון פגם את שמחה. נא נח נחמא נחנון נאומן זכותו תגן עלינו ועל כל ישראל אמן. עכשיו ברוך השם, about how a person is uh, tested with the Yetzirah in this world and what the Yetzirah is truly like, what the evil inclination truly represents. Then we're going to do section 7 also. Um, so let's hop into it. Siman Vav. Ha-Yetzirah domek kemo mi she-olech v'rat ben b'nei adam v'yado segura v'en adam yodea ma betocha. Rabbeinu gives us a comparison of what the Yetzirah represents. Rabbeinu says that the Yetzirah is similar to someone who walks throughout a, um, a crowd of people, running between a crowd of people with his hand and his fist closed. And nobody knows what is in the fist of this person, this clown or whatever it is, this jester, whatever it might be. So imagine a crowd of people, the shuk or uh, a festival or whatever it might be, and um, a person is running through the crowd trying to let everyone know that he has uh, something in his hand and um, and he's holding his hand closed tightly and he's telling people that there's something in there. And he's deceiving each and every person in the crowd and he's asking each and every individual, what am I holding? And to each and every person, when he, when he sees when that person sees this clown or this person asking, uh, asking them, what am I holding? They think that he's holding something that they desire. Something that they want. And therefore, this is why everyone runs after him. Because each and every person thinks that this person, that this clown, this jester, holds in his hand whatever, that man des- whatever he desires. That he's holding a, de- a desirable object. And afterwards, when he has an entire crowd around him, when everyone, when everybody's curious what he has, and he's already deceived the entire party, he opens up his hand and there's nothing there. Rabbanu says this is literally exactly the way the Yitzhara works. This is the, the most accurate parable that exists for the Yitzhara. The Yetzirah deceives the entire world. Everybody's running after the Yetzirah. And the Yetzirah is deceiving each and every individual. Until the point where he deceives each and every individual to convince them that he possesses in his hand something that they desire. And each and every person is deceived according to how, much fool in, how, how foolish he is, how much desire he has, how much he runs after that foolishness. And afterwards, at the end, the Yetzirah opens up his hand and there's nothing there. Because it's impossible that a person fills his desire by the Yetzirah. It's a known thing. And this is the way it's taught in the Gemara. Um, I believe it's around that sort of language. The like Gemara says that a per- there's not a person that dies with half his desire in his hand. 
When it comes to trying to fill your desire, you'll never be able to fill it because the more you have, the more you need. Rabbi Nathan has a beautiful, a beautiful sod, uh, a secret explanation, a very deep um, understanding as to why um, we do not count. We know this idea um, that in, with regard to the Jewish people, we do not count. Because the second you want to count and you want to put the Jewish people under the category of a number is the second they fall slaves under, the, under that number. Meaning what? The second you start counting one, then there's two and three and four. But what, what is brought down in Sefer Yetzirah, one of the oldest books of Kabbalah, a book that is even attributed, they say it's Kabbalah of Avraham Avinu. It says over there, before one, what do you count? Meaning if you do not decide to count at all, then you do not put yourselves under the, the, the dominion of a, of a number, under the control of numbers. And if you do not have number, then you do not have to fill your desire anymore. You're not under the control and the, and uh, what do you call, the slavery of that number. If you have one, then there's always two, three, four, five, six. And if you have six, then you have seven. And it's infinite amount of numbers. But the second you decide that you don't even want, you don't even want to count, meaning that you, you're not even going to decide to start filling your desire from the beginning, then you don't need another number. You're happy with what you have. As brought down in the as brought down the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, in Avot, who's wealthy, the one who is happy with what he has. Meaning what? The second you don't need anything else is the second you are happy with everything. The second you decide that, oh, I want this, let's say you want to get something, something gashmi, um, something physical, corporeal. Let's say you decide that you want to get a, a nice wallet, for example. Okay, you get a nice wallet, then that won't be enough. You want something else. You want a nice car, you want a nice this, that. But the second you decide that you're happy with what you have, and that you don't need anything else, that God has granted you everything that you need, then at that point, you're going to be mamash happy. And there's nothing that can uh, take you down. And there's nothing that can make you sad. There's nothing that can tell you, oh, you don't have enough. So in this world, nobody feels his desire but the Because the Yitzhara might give you something that you've been wanting for a long time. That you feel or that you thought you've wanted. Once you have it, you want something else. And at that point, you've, you've put yourself under this, uh, the dominion of the Yitzhara. You've now become a slave to the Yitzhara. Because nothing you'll ever do will be enough. So Rabbeinu is teaching us a secret here. And this is a secret that nobody trusts Rabbeinu with. Nobody trusts the Chachamim with. The Chachamim tell us, Rabbeinu is telling us, don't begin to fill your desires in the first place. But the problem is we do not trust Him. And we decide to fill our desires and once we do that it's already too late because then after that point we want something else and something else and something else. It's never enough. So we have to be careful because we've already started unfortunately. We have to try to break that connection to the evil inclination to break our desires to fill something in this world. Because Bemet, we can never fill any of our desires in this world. And the more money we want, the more we receive, the more we want, well, this world is greedy. And the more we fall into it, the more it demands of us. So better never try to uh, run after anything. Rabbeinu gives us a parable, another example, a comparison of what the desires of this world are similar to. Rabbeinu teaches us that all the worldly pleasures are like uh, beams of sun, rays of sun in a room. 
You know, whenever you're in a room, sometimes the windows open and like the light is angling towards the room um, through that window and the reflection of the light through the window creates a beam of, uh, of light within the room. It seems like the beam is actually literally physically there. Rabbeinu says that naturally we can see that sometimes we see beams of light, uh, sunbeams, that literally seem physical, that seem like pillars. They look like pillars because of the shining of the sun. That the sun is shining throughout a, uh, in a certain angle. And a person might want to grab these pillars of light because it seems that they can that he can grab them. They seem. Uh, it seems, uh, what do you call it, Gra- uh, uh, tangible. Betofsim, and this person tries to grab it, and yet he receives nothing in his hand. He's left with nothing in his hand. Because he realizes that the beam of light isn't physical, it's not there. The same is true of all the worldly pleasures, all the desires of this world. So we can understand something. It's a very simple idea, but yet ultimately deep. And something that we should begin to train ourselves to understand. That this world is absolutely worthless when it comes to trying to fill your desires. The more you want in physicality, the more you'll never be happy. Because you're always going to put yourself under what we call in French like the emprise. Or under the, yeah, like we said before, the control of, uh, of that desire. The more you want, for example, good food, the more you put yourself under that uh, the, the um under the rule of good food. So the more good food you have, good food you have, the more you want, the more you want, the more you want, the more you become sicker in that desire. So better we be simple, better we do not run after desires and not lose our will to come because of this. Because Bemet, it's a it's a downward uh, downward hill, it's a domino effect. The second you fall into one, it goes into another, another, another. Siman Zain. Tov Meod Rabbanu says it's very good if one wants to pour out his heart before God in supplications of uh, mercy like a son who has sinned before his father. Because hasn't God already called us his children? Or his uh, his sons. It says, "Banim atem la'Hashem lokechem." You are God. You are banim atem la'Hashem lokechem. You are sons or children to Hashem your God. Alken, therefore, tov me'od lefaresh shichato v'tzavol lefanavit barach keven shekovel ifnei aviv bitnuot shelchen ve'achamim shekorin piyestesen. Therefore, and I butchered that word, but nonetheless, I'm going to translate it in English. Rabbeinu says, therefore, it's very good to express conversation, all your emotions, everything that you feel, your pain, your sorrow, your anguishes before your anguish before Hashem, like a son who's complaining before his father, with movements and with yeah, with movements of grace and mercy, what we what we call pestering. It's like a a father, even though he's annoyed by his son's pestering, nonetheless, he still loves him. And he still cares about the pestering. He still wants that. Um, because it's a sign of affection. It's a sign of love. It's a sign of care. It's a sign of... Um, it's, it's an emotional thing. It's a sign of that the relationship present. And that's what God wants. He wants us to speak to Him. Even though 
Because even though it seems to a person that according to his actions, he's not actually a son before God because he's done so many bad things that he's not a son. Nonetheless, with all of that being said, doesn't God still cause children even though he might be wicked before him? Even though he might go against his will? Because it's brought down in the Gemara Kiddushin, page 36a. Whether it's for good, whether it's for evil, you are always called God's children. And even if God dismisses me as his child, as his son, he tells me I'm no longer a son. God should do whatever is good in his eyes, Rabbeinu says. But Rabbeinu gives us an awesome piece of advice. A piece of advice that had many tzaddikim in history known this. Or had many people in history, in Jewish history, known this idea. They would have uh, stayed at the gates of holiness and not given up everything. Like we see with Acher. Elisha ben Avuya and the Gemara um, Chagiga, you see this famous story, that had he known this idea, he would have uh, stayed close to God. Rabbanu says that it's on God to do what he sees fit, but it's on me to do what I see fit. To make myself as if I'm still a child, I'm still a son. And how good is it for a person to awaken his heart in supplications to the point where he cries and he tears descend down his cheeks like a son before his father. Rabbanu says there's nothing more precious than this. And even though God might dismiss you, nonetheless, it's imperative that you decide to still come close because Hashem, the truth is, His dismissing is just His midat al-din. It's just His... Um, his trait of judgment. He has to act of judgment because that's the way he created the world. But deep down, he desires Israel more than he desires judgment, as Rabbanu teaches us in Nikutem Moran. That his love for the Jewish people is greater than his love for judgment. And I heard a story from my grandfather. This is what Rabbanu is saying. Rabbanu is saying, I heard a story from my grandfather, Rabbi Nachman Horadenker. May his memory be a, be a blessing. When he was once on a ship, one time he was on a ship with many people, passengers. And they didn't have bread. They hadn't eaten for many days. Until they reached a certain city. And over there in that city, there was no Jews. It was only Arabs. And one Arab took Rabbi Nachman into his house and gave him to eat. And Rabbi Nachman Horadenker hadn't eaten, hadn't eaten for many days. So he began to wash his hands, bless the Barachav Hamoti. And right after he makes the Barachah, he's about to take a bite into his bread. And before he takes a bite into his bread, some, a thought enters his mind. What does it say in Mishle, chapter 23, verse 6? This verse enters his mind. Don't eat bread of one with a bad eye. Uh, who is a, one of the bad eyes referencing this, uh, this Arab? Rabbanu is teaching us. Rabbanu says that we see that with the story of Rabbi Nachman Horadenker that our thoughts aren't something vain, in vain. The thoughts that we receive aren't just, uh, oh, it's just a random thought. I'm just going to let it pass. No, every thought that comes to you is something that you have to understand God is sending you a message through that thought. Rabbi Nachman Horodenker said this in recounting the story 
he was saying that when this happened to me, and Rabbi Nachman is quoting in the name of his grandfather, Rabbi Nachman Horodenker is saying that when this thing happened to me, this thought from this verse from Mishle, it's teaching me that there's not a, an empty thought, a vain thought in the world. As meaning. Rabbi Nachman Horodenker is saying this, that I did not know what to do because I already blessed the bracha of Amotzi. <laughs> Sorry. But after he had blessed the Barakha on the bread, Rabbi Nachman Horodenker thought to himself that perhaps he would prevent himself from eating at all because of this thought. But after this thought, another thought entered his mind. Sorry. What does that verse say? That verse in Melachim, Rabbi was a beautiful Torah on this. But the verse in Menachim, um, Menachim Aleph, chapter 17, verse 4. God tells Eliyahu Navi, I've commanded the ravens to sustain you, to give you food. Orvim is a play on the words Aravim, Arabs. The Azachar, and then he ate. Because then he realized that uh, Hashem sent him a thought to, to put him on the right path. To give him the right idea. And Rabbeinu said at the time of this story, when he was saying this story over, This is very good in my eyes. Um, whenever I see that the second thought entered my grandfather's mind. That automatically when this thought came to his mind, and he did it, and he followed through with the act of eating, Rabbi said that this is very good in my mind because this is the truth. Meaning that the thoughts that arise to a person should be played closer attention to. Of course, we're not talking about to your thoughts. But nonetheless, look what Rabbi Nathan is going to explain. The same is true of all the thoughts with regard to all the thoughts that come to a person to confuse him. After these thoughts of confusion, Hashem Barach helps a person and sends him another thought to draw him close. Because Rabbi Nathan is making the comparison. Rabbi Nathan is saying that this is the comp- Rabbeinu is the one who made the comparison. But in the name of Rabbeinu, Rabbi Nathan is saying that this is exactly the same way that we discussed earlier. That sometimes it arises in a person's mind, a person goes through his thoughts and he begins to think and ponder about how he's no longer fitting to be a son before God because of all his sins. Nonetheless, it's still on that person to do what he needs to do. And afterwards, Hashem Baruch will help him and send him a thought of drawing close. But you need to do what you need to do and break the, bound, break the barriers, the obstacles, and do the best that you can to draw close, even though it seems God does not want you. Because the truth of all truths is that Hashem has called us all His children, even the furthest ones. And therefore it's fitting for us to express our conversations, our pains before God, like a son complaining before his father. And this is a piece of advice that we cannot hear enough of. It's so important to do Hidbodidut every single day, to speak to Hashem in our own language, to speak to Him as if He's our best friend. 
more, more than this, to speak every single thing on our minds, on our hearts. And Hashem will awaken us and draw us close to Him.